he has been faithful. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise God for that. Praise God for this morning's service. We thankful for unity in the Spirit. Amen? Amen. The book of Mark tonight. The book of Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter number 1. We're going to begin in a moment at verse number 9. Mark chapter 1 and verse number 9. How... Um, I got something I want us to be praying about. Um, first of all, the Lord hears and answers prayers. We prayed Wednesday night um, for there to be unity of the Spirit. We prayed for God's direction, His leadership, and our service on Wednesday night in our prayer meeting. And what's amazing about that is uh, you get to see that answered on Sunday morning. It's amazing. And I praise God for that. And that just encourages my faith. It increases my faith in prayer. Um, what's, what I think is so interesting about that is the prayer room night, you don't see that happening. So like what you're praying for, um, you can't see the glory of the answered prayer, the excitement of the answered prayer on Wednesday night. That's why there, I think that's why there's so little praying being done in our lives because that's the, that's the work. You know, that's the... That's the labor, that's the yearning, that's the, that's the effort in prayer. But, so there's, there's, there's yearning on Wednesday night, and then what's, what I think is cool, and, I, and praiseworthy to the Lord, on Sunday morning you're like, wow, again, that's amazing. Look what God does, look how God answers prayers. So I, that encourages my faith in prayer. It's, uh, it's encouraging to me. And I want us to pray that God would put a soul in every single one of our pews. I don't mean that we all spread out to do it, because <laughs> we could do it. But I, I would like to see one soul, one person in every single pew in our building. And we're not that far from it even tonight. And I, I, would, I want us to pray for that. Um, because that represents a soul that represents the building of God's kingdom. It's, 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 uh, it represents what God could be doing in a family, in a marriage, in a home, future generations. So help me pray that God would put a soul in every pew. Just a soul in every single pew. And my confidence in that is, uh, is, is, a, is I, I know He could do it. I know He could do it. I've seen God answer prayers about that subject more in the past year than I ever have in my life. I know God can do it. So that's why I'm asking that we do it as a church. Since I know that He can and we, we don't have it, so let's, we have not because we ask not, uh, let's pray that that happens. Will you help me pray? Will you help me pray the Lord puts a soul in every single one of our pews? Amen? I know we can do it. I know we can if we'll pray. All right, the book of Mark, chapter 1. Things are going to start happening really fast in the gospel according to Mark. Remember, the book of Mark is a... It is a book presenting Jesus as a servant. He is the serving Savior. He is the humble, serving Savior in the book of Mark. And servants move fast. And we're going to see things happening now in the life of Jesus that are going to happen pretty fast. Mark, don't waste no time whatsoever. So just review, we, we, a couple weeks ago we dealt with verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then last Sunday night, we thank God got to deal with the wonderful subject of the ministry and the person of John the Baptist, and how John the Baptist paved the way 
for the Lord to come. So then when we pick up in verse number 9, it came to pass in those days, that's in relationship to John the Baptist. In the days of John the Baptist that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan and straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the spirit like a dove descending upon him and there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Heavenly Father, Jesus, in your name, we're thankful as a body of believers for, Lord, your, your outpouring of your presence this morning in our service. Lord, the joy and the fellowship in the spirit that we enjoyed, we praise you for that. And Lord, we're thankful, God, for your word. We're thankful for leading us to the book of Mark. And Lord, I pray this will be a great help and sanctificate and sanctify into our lives and it will be encouragement to us. We love you, we praise you, and thank you, Jesus. In your name, Lord, we ask these things. Amen. There's an interesting uh, expression in verse number 9. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came. All of a sudden, here comes Jesus. Now, if you went to Bible school before verse number 9, you would not hear the story about Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, the name Jesus was a common name during that time. In verse number 9, we have Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, publicly stepping onto the scene of human history. His work is beginning now. He lived in obscurity for the past 30-ish years in Nazareth. No one knows who He is except Mary and maybe Joseph and Mary who kept these things in her heart. A couple prophets who recognized some, some wise men, but relatively speaking, Jesus of Nazareth is an unknown figure. He is irrelevant to society at the moment. But He's not irrelevant. Amen. What I find striking about that thought is it parallels today that we all know the name Jesus of Nazareth. The world knows Jesus of Nazareth, the story but in so many ways, it's like it was then. His name is irrelevant to the world. He, his name is meaningless to most people. It's completely off their radar. He's not considered at all in any significant sense. And the same thing will happen again. Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Son of God, in relative obscurity, will burst onto the scene once more. And so by judging by verse 9, you cannot, you cannot determine the value of Jesus based upon His popularity. You, you can't say in your heart, well, He must not be that meaningful because the masses aren't following Him. He's the Son of God before verse number 9. He, he's the virgin-born promised Messiah before anyone ever knows who He is. So just because he might not be significant in the public realm does not mean he's insignificant. John the Baptist, that, that was the point, he said, hey, there's somebody coming here. There's somebody fixing to show up here. You're not ready for it. You're not prepared for what's happening. And then, verse 9, Jesus came. I was thinking even on the front row in the book of Deuteronomy. I think it's chapter 18 or 17, where, where Moses says, there's coming a prophet, and you're going to hearken unto him. 
There's coming one after me. You're going to listen to him. And so all of a sudden, in verse number 9, the prophet shows up that Moses is talking about. In verse number 9, Jesus came. This expression is, is, is so significant to biblical history and the narrative of, re, of, of redemption that finally now the Messiah has come onto the public scene. I mean, if we don't have verse number 9, we don't have Jesus' crucifixion. If we don't have Jesus came in verse number 9, Jesus begins his earthly ministry, then you and I have no redemption whatsoever. I mean, verse number 9 is a verse, but verse number 9 is a truth. Jesus came onto the public scene in verse number 9. If this did not happen, we are doomed and lost. I could stop here and just preach a message about thank God Jesus came into the world. Thank God he came into Bethlehem, he, and, but more importantly even you could say, if he didn't begin his earthly ministry, then Bethlehem loses how significant that moment is. Verse number 9 is, is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's finally showing his face. He's finally making it public. He's finally becoming relevant to who needs him most. I need him and you need him. I'm glad Jesus came into the world. Amen? And so verse number 9 is a very important verse in the Bible. And we often don't think of it. But if Jesus did not come from Nazareth of Galilee to be baptized of John in Jordan, then we have no gospel of Jesus Christ. So we have all the prophets talking about him, all of the, all of the plans of God in the, in the, at, the, at the threshold of eternity, and it's finally taking place. Here comes Jesus of Nazareth. And notice how simple Mark describes this. It's, 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 it's an expression of interruption. Mark is, Jesus is interrupting the world. He's not, he's not prefacing, he's not... He's not, uh, if you pardon me, excuse me, I might have a moment of your time. That's not how it works. Jesus just shows up unannounced on the world stage. And I'm glad he did. Amen? That is important to you and I. And one of these days, it's going to happen again. Jesus will show up on the world stage again. Amen? So don't think because he's not relevant to the masses that he is irrelevant because he will be relevant to them one day. Amen? So verse number 9, again, And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth. And Mark wants us to know this. Jesus came from Nazareth. So Jesus' time in Nazareth was, was really undocumented to you and I. We really don't know what happened at Nazareth. But that, that word, that, that description of Jesus is important to the person of Jesus Christ. Everything that happens to Jesus is not by accident. There is nothing that surrounds Jesus that is irrelevant. Every single thing in the Bible that is used to surround or describe or to paint a picture of Jesus is for our edification and sanctification. The Bible wants us to know, God wants us to know where Jesus came from. Now, Nazareth, his time there was basically, we, we don't know what goes on there, but we do know that God wants us to know that he came from there. Now, the Jews thought little of Nazareth. 
It was, a, it was a place that didn't have much religion. It was a place, according to the Pharisees, scribes, and lawyers of the day, the place of a low moral character. It, it's a place where nobody reputable ever came from. In the book of John chapter 1, Nathaniel said, Is there anything good came out of Nazareth? Now why does God want us to know that Jesus came out of a no good corner of the world? Nazareth, even geographically, it kind of sets down in a bowl. It's kind of a low country. It's surrounded by ridges. It's like 55 miles from Jerusalem. It's in the region of Galilee. They even have a slang about them. Remember Peter when he denied the Lord Jesus three times? And they said, yeah, it's you, yeah, it's you, because your speech betrays you. It, it, to, to explain it, maybe if I went up to Michigan, they would say, you're not from around here, amen? And so it was, it was an expression of content. Listen to the way he talks. They thought little of the region. It's a place of fishermen, salty guys. They're dirty. They do, uh, they do a work that's not glamorous. It's in a low country. You could think of it literally maybe as the bowl where all the filth maybe kind of settles down in the region. And look where God wants Jesus to come from. Look where Jesus chooses to come from. Remember in the book of Philippians chapter number 2, verse number 7, and He made Himself of what? Of no reputation. So it's like God did it on purpose, isn't it? It's like God on purpose in the person of Jesus Christ, said, I'm going to come from the lowest low country, the most irreputable place that I could find. I'm going to come from that place. Now, here comes Jesus from that place. Do you see, is the Holy Spirit dealing with you right now, trying to show us something? Do you get what God is painting? What does that mean? What's the application? If Jesus came from Nazareth, He came for everybody. If Jesus came from Nazareth, then people in Nazareth can have Jesus. If Jesus came from the low country, I mean that in two ways. Low country spiritually, low country morally, and a third one, low country geographically. If Jesus came from that place, then Jesus is for Nazareth. And if Jesus is for Nazareth, then He's for you and me too. So when, John, when, when the Bible says, here came Jesus from Nazareth, now, if it said, here came Jesus from the temple, some, of, some people from Nazareth would say, well, he's not for me. If the, if, if the Bible said, here came Jesus from, uh, from that, that rich neighborhood, Greenwich, Connecticut, I would think the little boy from Inskip like me, I'd think, well, he's not for somebody like me. But if he came from Inskip, then I might think, well, he's for me. If Jesus came from Lonsdale then Jesus is for Western Heights. You see how it works? If Jesus came from Nazareth, then He's for everybody. Amen? Now there's also some scripture being fulfilled, and He shall be called a Nazarene. And most people, including me, think that this is a fulfillment of that passage that Jesus of Nazareth is the fulfillment, the Messiah, the one promise that is to save us from our sins. Amen? You know what's interesting too about that title? He carried that title all the way with him to the cross. And what did Pilate write on the superscription? He said, I want you to put a sign above him. I want you to hang it on the cross above him. Jesus of what? Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Amen? 
And that's what the Bible wants us to see. That's what the Holy Spirit wants you to see tonight. Here, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and he was baptized of John in Jordan. Now, let's deal with that situation. He was baptized of John in Jordan. Now, why would Jesus need to be baptized? Now, remember, John's preaching was the baptism of repentance and confession of sins. So the only reason you get baptized by John is you've come to a a place of repentance, of contrition, of clarity, the truth. You've come to the truth about yourselves that I am not what I thought I was. And you've come to a place of repentance that I'm going to turn from my sins and I'm going to turn and follow God. Now why would Jesus need to do that? Because Jesus never sinned, amen. Jesus never thought a dirty thought. Isn't that amazing? Jesus never gossiped about anybody. Some people say, boy, that's hard. (laughs) Jesus never told a lie. Jesus Jesus never never did anybody wrong. Now what's he going to confess? Why in the world would Jesus get baptized? Now first, notice the location. Because geography is important to telling a story. They say, where are you from? I'm from the hill country of Tennessee. They say, well, I know a little bit about you then. I'm Appalachian. That's what I am. Well, we know a little bit about you, don't we? It's, I got a friend from work, a new guy, he's from California. I think, I know a little bit about him. I know a little bit about him. Geography tells a story in itself, don't it? Jesus was baptized, we're in Jordan. That's a muddy river, you know that? Jesus then got in the mud with us, didn't he? Why would Jesus need to get baptized? I'm glad ain't you nailed that he gets in the mud with us. Aren't you glad of that? I'm glad he gets in the mud with us. Aren't you, April? I'm glad he had to go where we was at. He had to go where the need was. He came to the right place, didn't he? Because we sure did need him, didn't we? He came, would you agree with this? Jesus came to the right planet, didn't he? He came to the right neighborhood of the universe, didn't he? He came to the lowest of the low in all the universe, didn't he? Uh, Venus didn't need Jesus. The earth needed Jesus, amen? Jupiter, I don't know what they got going on over there, but I know it can't be as bad as earth because Jesus didn't show up and go to Jupiter, did he? No, Jesus came to Nazareth. Jesus came where the need was. Now, why would Jesus need to be baptized? Let's learn a few things. Number one, Jesus was baptized to be presented as the Lamb of God. Now, John the Baptist, according to the book of Luke, chapter 1, verse number 5, his family bloodline was the Arianic priestly line. He was a Levite. And John the Baptist's role from that Arianic priestly line, the Levites, would present the sacrificial lamb in the Old Testament. That was their job. They would present the lamb that was to be sacrificed to the people. Now, what happened to the book of John, chapter number 1? John the Baptist sees Jesus walking along the banks of the Jordan River, and what does John the Baptist, the Arionic line, the Levite, what does he say? He says, Behold, look at him, consider him, admire him, look very closely, be astonished, be amazed, pay attention. That's what, pay attention I'm presenting you, behold. If I say, behold, that should get your attention. If I say, behold, that means I'm presenting something to you. 
And what is John the Baptist doing? The baptizer, the, the Arionic Levant, the, the line from the, Le the tribe of Levi, he's presenting what? When John the Baptist says, Behold, the what? The Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. So why is Jesus walking to John the Baptist? Why is Jesus coming to the River Jordan? To be what? To be presented to you and I and to the world as the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. The literal sacrificial Lamb of God was presented by John the Baptist standing in the muddy waters of the River Jordan. Amen? So why is Jesus getting baptized? Behold Him! Look at Him! This, listen to me, I'm, I'm, this is the truth. He is your sacrifice. He is your lamb. It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats can ever take away sin. So, but without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So there must be another lamb then. John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God. He's taking his Arionic, Levitical, priestly duty, and he's saying, This, everybody, everybody listen. The, the, Mark still applies. John chapter 1 still applies. It's written for us. It's written for us. And the Bible is saying to you and I, Behold the Lamb of God. Now we should put some things together. If God has given you a lamb, that means what? You need a sacrifice. And if you need a sacrifice, that means you need sins. You have sin on you that must be paid for. And if you have sins on you that must be paid for, and the wage of sin is death, then you need a scapegoat. You need something. And John the Baptist says, Behold your lamb. If you would receive him and believe on him, trust in him, he will be your substitute. He will be your scapegoat. He will be your Passover lamb. You say, well, I, John the Baptist said that to, you, to them. John the Baptist is saying that to you, amen. So why was Jesus baptized? To be presented as the sacrificial lamb of God, amen. I'm glad he came and said, it's me. <laughs> I'm the one you've been looking for all these years. You know, when you first met Jesus, isn't that what you thought in so many words? He's the one I've been looking for. He's the one I've been waiting on. He's the one that I've been needed. And it took a preacher, John the Baptist, to the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit to illuminate my, my eyes, my heart, my mind, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should enter in. We'll be blind. We won't be able to see it. And the anointing and the revelation and the power of the Spirit convinced you in that moment, I didn't even know I need Him, but I can't move another inch without Him. I've got to have Him. I desperately need Him. If they could interview you 10, ten minutes before, hey, do you know you need Jesus? Your heart would say, ah, I, don't, I mean, yeah, I guess that's what they say. That's what they taught me in Sunday school. But when the Spirit of God convinces you, you're like, yeah, I need Him. I need Him more than anything in my life. And what's John the Baptist saying? Hey, He's the one that you need. He's the one that you've been waiting on. He is the only one that can do it. And Jesus came. Isn't the Word of God full of truth and glory? 
Jesus, that from lowly Nazarene, climbed up out of that dusty bowl of reprobates. He's insignificant. At the moment, he is insignificant to the people, but not, but not insignificant at all. He's irrelevant. There he comes with his sandals on. There he comes from a poor carpenter's family. But who is he? Who is he really? He's the Son of God. Who is this man of, of Nazareth? Who is this one that came from Galilee? He's the one you need more than anything else. He is the eternal Son of God. Why was Jesus baptized? Number two, not only to be presented as the Passover, as, the, as a sacrificial lamb, the lamb of God, but thank God Jesus was baptized to be identified with us. Jesus got in the muddy water just like everybody else was doing. What does that mean? I am coming to be like you. I am coming to identify with you. Hebrews says he was tempted at all points, even as we are, yet without sin. He took upon himself a form of a, serp, of a servant, Philippians chapter 2. And the book of Mark is saying, here's the servant. He's getting in the muddy water with you. Hebrews chapter 2, the captain of our salvation was made perfect through suffering. He got in this mess with you. Isn't that amazing? He got in the water with you to identify with you, to identify with sinners. He was standing in line in front behind somebody that confessed their sins and saying, yeah, let's just suppose, because we know there were sinners in the water except for Jesus. He was the only one in the water that wasn't a sinner. Amen? He was the only one in line to get baptized that didn't need to get baptized. And isn't that so applicable today? He is the only one among us without sin. He is the only one among us that is worthy to open the book. He is the only man that ever lived that was no fault in this just man whatsoever. He was the only one, but he died on Mount Calvary. He was the only one that day who was innocent. But he was the one who bore the sin of all the sinners that ever lived and would live from that point on. So Jesus is in line, let's suppose. Jesus is in line and one man in front of Jesus, he comes before, the, before John the Baptist and that man confesses his sins and he says, yes, I've been unfaithful to my wife. I'm straightening up. God gave me a good wife and I've ruined my marriage. I've broken my vows and I've made it hard on my children and I, I want to come, come back to God and, and John the Baptist baptizes him. And maybe the next woman in line says, yes, I've done things. I've stolen from the company I worked for. I caused my family all kinds of embarrassment. I want to come back to God. Lord, forgive me. I want to be right. I want to be ready when Jesus comes. And John baptizes her. But then when he gets to Jesus, John the Baptist says, I, need, I have need to be baptized of you. But you want to be baptized of me. What is Jesus doing in the water? He's coming to identify with those sinners he's standing in line with. You know, when you got baptized, if you're, if, you, if you're a believer, it's called believer's baptism. You get baptized because you are a believer. You know what you're doing? You're identifying with the, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, when he got in that water with you, he's identifying with you that he might save you from your sins. 
Why did Jesus get baptized? Number three. Not only did he get baptized to be presented as the Lamb of God, to identify with us, but Jesus said, and I just quoted it in the book of Matthew, chapter number three, that he might fulfill all righteousness. In Matthew, chapter number three, verse number 13, the Bible says that then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. Verse 14, but John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus was baptized. What is Jesus meaning by this, to fulfill all righteousness? It's the idea that Jesus is saying that I am ready to obey all the commands of my Father. That's what, he's, that's what he's saying. I am ready to do anything my Heavenly Father tells me to do. I am ready to surrender my life in complete obedience to the will of my Father. That's what he's coming to do. Believer's baptism is also that. You got baptized, it's your first act of public obedience, and what you're saying by standing in the water is, He's my Lord, He's my Savior. He, I was buried with Him in death and burial, raised to walk in newness of life. And when you're walking out of the water, what is that as an expression of? I am walking out of here as an act of obedience. I am going to submit my life to God in complete obedience. And what is Jesus doing? I'm coming to obey my Father to fulfill all righteousness and to do anything that he tells me to do, that's what I'm going to do. Closing, the Bible says in verse number 10, and straightway coming up out of the water, Mark chapter 1, he saw the heavens opened and the Spirit like a dove descended upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, there's many people who deny the existence of the Trinity, that, that Jesus isn't a part of the Trinity, or that the Holy Spirit isn't a part of the Trinity. But here we have the first gospel account that is written. We have the Bible in chapter number 1 giving us a description when all three persons of the Trinity are present in one moment. And of course, the Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And here when Jesus is baptized, the Trinity is on full display. We have Jesus coming up out of the water, that's God the Son. We have the Holy Spirit descending upon him like a dove, that's God the Spirit. And the Bible says it is, and the Spirit, notice in your Bible it's capital S, descending upon him like a dove, and then a voice from heaven saying, now I say, well, how do we know who this is? It says, thou art my beloved Son. Now I got a son, if I say this is my son, that makes me his father. There's a voice from heaven that says, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And who is this? This is God the Father. The symbolism too there is amazing. The dove is symbolic of, of grace and hope and peace and life. And the Holy Spirit takes the form of a dove and it lights upon the Lord Jesus. What is the symbolism here? Here He comes full of grace, truth, and life. He's coming to give you peace. 
He's coming to, to give you hope. He's coming to give you joy. He's coming to give you everything you've ever, hearts ever craved. And so the Holy Spirit takes the form of a dove. It's a symbol of hope and peace and restoration. The, the idea comes back to, the, to Noah and his ark. The dove comes back with a green leaf. It's hope. It's things are going to get better. The dark days have passed. The rain has stopped. The judgment has ceased. And God's grace and mercy of rainbow and hope and love is painted in the atmosphere. What is this expression? Here he came from Nazareth and he's offering hope, love, peace, joy. Who is he? He's the Son of God. He's the second person of the Trinity. He came in the muddy waters with us. He came where people need him most. And what is he offering? He's offering hope, love, peace, and joy. Don't you see it? Why was Jesus baptized? So a, a description in our mind could be painted that the Son of God who came from Nazareth is coming where we're at, to give us everything our hearts crave the most. And that's peace and hope and love and a future that isn't full of rain and floodwaters, but full of love and peace and joy. There's also one more thing. It's symbolic of what's going to happen. So the sun is coming up and the Spirit is coming down. And Jesus said, remember, it's expedient that I go away. For if I don't go away, I can't send a comforter. So what happened? Jesus literally went up, didn't he? And he said, when I go up, I'm going to send the Spirit down. And so Jesus comes up out of the water. And the Spirit comes down from heaven. It's like, hey, this one from Nazareth, he's going to go up. After his death, what does baptism teach us? The death, the burial, down with the old life. The old life's dead. It's a new life. Jesus comes up out of the water. And the Spirit comes down. And he says, was the Father pleased? The Father said, this is my Son. In Romans chapter 1, verse number 4, He's declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And what is, Jesus, what is the Father saying? This is my Son. This, isn't that amazing? This is my Son, the Father says. Revere Him, love Him, come to Him. And the Father is saying, giving His approval, Here's what he's coming to do. Jesus arose from the dead, declaring himself to be the Son of God with power. Jesus comes out of the water and a voice from the Father said, This is my Son. A declaration that he is the Son of God. So what does the very beginning show us? And I'm closing. The beginning of the first public episode of the life of Jesus Christ is the gospel, isn't it? That's what it is. The whole gospel is on display. So the first scene of the life of Jesus Christ's public ministry is Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He come from Nazareth. He got in the muddy water. He stood in line with sinners. He was numbered with the transgressors. And the symbolism and the affirmation is showing us that He's the Son of God. He's giving you peace. He's offering you hope. He's down here with you. He's the Lamb of God. He's presented Himself to us as the only Lamb that could take away the sin of the world. A lot going on in the river that day, amen? A lot going on. 
The very first scene of Jesus' public ministry is this. I came where you're at to get you where you should be, where I want you to be, where we're going to end up. I tell you what, I'm glad Jesus stepped into the water that day, ain't you? I'm glad Jesus came from Nazareth. Let's stand to our feet. My Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would take your word. Lord, this is the gospel. Lord, you'd take your word, and Lord, you'd help us to see it. Lord, you'd help us to, by your spirit, Lord, to understand it. Lord, to, uh, to see what you want us to see. To edify us, sanctify us, and change us. Lord, I pray we can see the glory of it all. Help us to love your word. Help us, Lord, to hang on every word of it. Lord, create in us an excitement and an appreciation, Lord, for your book, for the Bible and its meaning. Lord, show us and teach us what we need to see. And Lord God, I pray that we could, our lives could be changed by it. Lord, that we'll cherish it and love it. Help us to ponder on it and think about it. And to consider, Lord, this passage among with many others that we will. That it might be a great help to us. That we might see what you want us to see. Lord, that we might consider what you preserved. You preserved your word all the way up to this point. So we can consider it. Lord, increase our faith by it. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. What song are we going to sing, Bryson?